It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. Ah, uh, that's right. Time for bonus scoop every Tuesday. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're joined by our friend Darren Doogie Wolfson of Channel 5 Eyewitness News and also Scoop Podcast fame. It's Judd, it's Declan, it's Darren, the star of the show. Good afternoon, sir. Yes, you are the star of the show. <laughs> Good afternoon. What can you tell us about the reports that are surfacing now, which I guess aren't shocking, but it's interesting, it's juicy, and it's reckless. D'Angelo Russell being shopped by Tim Conley and the Wolves. How serious should we take this? Good afternoon, Judd. Good afternoon, Declan. Happy Flag Day. I think we need to fixate on that word, shopping. Kevin O'Connor is very plugged in. Correct me if I'm wrong, Judd. He has been a guest right here on Score North before. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. He is a friend, yeah. I mean, on Twitter. He's a DM friend of mine. I really like Kevin. Mm Mm-hmm. He is very plugged in. Heck, when you're one of Bill Simmons' guys at the ringer, you're probably pretty good. Kevin has proved that. But I look at that word, shopping. Is that accurate? Here's what I can tell you. I reached out to a team that, to me, has a logical fit for a guard. I asked this front office executive, do you have working knowledge that Tim Connolly is, quote, shopping D'Angelo Russell. His response to me was, I have not heard that. I will reiterate what I said in this space on Thursday, I believe it was Thursday, not last Tuesday, that the Washington Wizards, a very logical landing spot for some good guard this summer. Maybe it's Colin Sexton, maybe it's Malcolm Brogdon, maybe it's somebody else, but my intel is it will not be D'Angelo Russell. The Washington Wizards are not interested in D'Angelo Russell. The team I would keep an eye on is the team we have mentioned a number of times, the New York Knicks. Now, they hired Rick Brunson, the former Wolves assistant, Jalen Brunson's dad. So some people are trying to connect those dots. Jalen Brunson, really good, unrestricted free agent guard. Could Jalen Brunson end up with New York? A lot of league people think he ends up re-signing in Dallas, that Mark Cuban is going to take very good care of Jalen Brunson. So who ends up in New York? I'm just saying with Gerson Rosas now in that front office, I would not like I would not dismiss that possibility. I also wonder a little bit about Indiana. Just what is Indiana doing? Now they gave Rick Carlisle all that money before last year. Seven to eight million dollars a year to come back to the Pacers, 
once upon a time was their coach. Once again, now Rick Carlisle, who's up there in age, is again their coach. But like based on them moving Sabonis at the trade deadline, like it doesn't look like Indiana is able to compete at a real high level anytime real soon. So do they continue to hit the reset button, build around Tyrese Halliburton? They have the number six overall pick. But what I'm alluding to is, do they look to get off of that Brogdon contract? Do they look to get off of the Miles Turner contract? Not that that's a big contract. He only has the one year remaining on his deal. But could that be some sort of fit where Indiana is looking for max flexibility down the road? Not necessarily interested in re-signing D'Angelo Russell, but would be open-minded to giving the Wolves some money, taking back less long-term money with D'Angelo Russell. I'm just I'm fascinated to see what Indiana does. I'll add in this point of this conversation, Judd, that Miles Turner has been on the Wolves' radar previously, but I checked this morning with somebody who knows a good amount of stuff. And he does not have working knowledge of the Wolves engaging Indiana currently about Miles Turner. Interesting stuff. So, Doogie, what do we think? Um, how did Chris Finch's decision to bench D'Lo at the end of that last playoff game against the Grizzlies? What do we know or what do you at least you think your educated guess on how that impacted the relationship between the two, because that was a big move. Like when you basically say I'm benching you and have lost confidence in your game, that's not just a one day thing that can certainly drag out as far as the feeling between player and coach there. What do we think that did for the relationship between those two? Well, I mean, I think D'Angelo Russell is, let me put this in the best way possible. A very interesting human being regardless of what took place there at the end of the Memphis series. Like, he's just, he's a different cat. Like, I know somebody who's worked for the Wolves for a really long time. This person told me, I don't know if weird is the right word. He's not a bad guy, so let me frame that right. very directly. D'Angelo Russell is not a bad guy. Right. Right? He's just, he's unique. He's different. Like, this person has been around... Many wolves over the years, you know, going back to the Gary Trent senior days, right? Okay. And some of those interesting personalities. And this person told me nobody ranks higher. And again, just for sake of this conversation on the record, let's just go with interesting. That D'Angelo Russell is the most interesting personality that has worn a wolves uniform. Hmm. Yeah. So I think there was a different dynamic even before the... Yeah the benching, but that creates, you know, another angle to all this. Put it this way. D'Angelo Russell is not off limits. Like we know Anthony Edwards isn't going anywhere. We know Carl Anthony Towns isn't going anywhere. Right. Heck, unless you're bringing back a legit superstar, Jaden McDaniels isn't going anywhere. Everybody else is truly on the table. So if the right D'Angelo Russell trade is out there, Mm -hmm. Tim Connolly is going to pull the trigger. But I just don't have the sense that he's outright, quote, shopping him. To piggyback on what you just said about D'Lo, I would say this, because I agree completely. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think that he is a very smart guy, and I think he is very headstrong, and I think he has his own ideas. So, like, that's my observation. So it's not like... uh, 
a guy who's going to create problems off the court with like his actions, I don't think. It strikes me as a guy, though, who definitely is, he would push back. So, like, if he doesn't like what you're doing, I don't see him keeping quiet. And that's why I, I asked because Chris Finch and, and Conley now are definitely going to try to build a culture here. And I guess the question becomes, does Russell buy into that culture? And if he doesn't, it's going to be a problem. Well, yeah, and let's not forget, he wants the big money this summer. He is extension eligible. One thing I feel very, 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 very confident about, Judd, is the Wolves are not giving D'Angelo Russell the money he so desperately wants on a long-term extension. Mm -hmm. So that is not taking place. Let me also remind you, I've told this story before. So pre-draft 2015, the Wolves are picking number one. They bring in D'Angelo Russell for a visit, doing their due diligence, right? At one point, Flip really liked Jalil Okafor, changed a few weeks prior to the draft, was keyed in on Carl Anthony Towns, but D'Angelo Russell was a high-level prospect. Clearly, right, when you go number two in the draft, right? So the Wolves did their due diligence. They brought D'Angelo Russell into town for a visit. Let's just say that visit did not go well, right? So there were... There were question marks about his personality going back to that visit. Then certainly early in his tenure with the Lakers. Now, to his credit, he rebounded, rebounded in a good way in Brooklyn. But I think there's something to be said about him being on four teams already Mm -hmm. at such a young age. Let's not forget about that. Fun fact, uh, I was working for MLB.com in 2015. And that exact visit that Doogie is referencing... Flip brought D'Lo to Target Field for a game, and they were sitting in the Legends Club. And I got word that D'Lo was in town because Flip was going to be, be there. And let's just say D'Lo was not at the time, too, by the way. This is now six, this is seven years ago, so he's obviously done some growing up. but wasn't the most friendly. And from what I remember, Flip Saunders was in the press box talking to another local media personality for the majority of that Twins game. Interesting. All right. A little insight there inside by Declan. Huh? So, Dukes, what about the rest of the uh, potential names that might be on Tim Conley's at least shopping list uh, as he enters the next few months? Well, yeah. I mean, even the next nine days, the NBA yeah. draft, one week from Thursday, seemingly there's always activity right around the draft, right? Will we see some movement? Heck, we already saw one trade a couple days ago, right? Jermichael Green going from Denver to Oklahoma City. So the movement across the league is already underway. So undoubtedly, Tim is interacting with colleagues, checking on different players. I'll tell you this much. Like I had somebody in the Western Conference, not with the Wolves, but in the Western Conference, tell me that he has heard that Malik Beasley is available. Now, I don't sense Tim is shopping Malik. Tim has already traded Malik once when he was (laughs) in charge of the Denver Nuggets. Exactly. And I'm not convinced that Malik's value is incredibly high, but teams are always looking for shooting. We know the Celtics had some interest in Malik going back to the trade deadline. There's some other teams with some interest in Malik. The Knicks, I've heard at different points, have some interest, or at least had some interest in Malik. But that would be another name I'd keep an eye on. There is a national report about Pat Riley, the Miami Heat, having interest in Patrick Beverly. I would be surprised, unless the price 
is absurdly high. Just with the one year remaining, right? The influence he had. Now, speaking of interesting personalities, he's right up there too. Sure. And like, I'm pretty sure. Well, in fact, I'm positive based on some interaction with some LA Clippers folks, they were ready to move on from Bev. He wore out his welcome there, but he hasn't worn out his welcome here. He's beloved as of now here. And so that was a perfect marriage, the one-year extension, even though he had hoped for multiple years. Gupta did a good job on that negotiation, getting him at one year. Yeah, maybe a slightly higher number than the Wolves wanted at $13 million, but at least he is coming off the books after next year. So I have a hard time believing that Beverly is going anywhere, but this NBA source did mention his name as well. But certainly Malik Beasley, outside of Russell, Malik Beasley would be the other guy to really key in on. Uh, Dubes, I saw our buddy Dane Moore also kick around this idea because Jermichael Green went on the move and he said he wouldn't be surprised if Green's name also resurfaces potentially again this summer. But based on the Wolves not having, I believe, uh, a trade ex- uh, exception and the money would need to match, is there any chance that Jermichael Green, who also has connections to Connolly too, um, could could the Wolves figure out a way to even snag him potentially on the, on the trade market? Well, so, Declan, some guys that remain in the Wolves' front office have had free agent interest in the past in Jamichael. We know Tim Connolly had interest in Jamichael because he brought him to Denver. So what Dane is alluding to in all likelihood is that Oklahoma City would buy him out or just look to outright trade him one way or another because Jamichael has an option on his contract. He's going to opt in in all likelihood to that number. I don't have that number right here in front of me, but it's many, many millions of dollars. I don't think he's getting that number on the open market. So it's either an outright trade with the Thunder or they would buy him out. So I guess depending on what OKC is thinking about in that regard, like if he's bought out, maybe there's a more likely path where he would land here. Don't know if a trade necessarily matches, but interesting. I mean, we know the connection, so definitely a worthy tweet. I hadn't really thought much about it, so thank you for bringing that up. I think Dane is absolutely on to something to keep an eye on. Chris Finch's coaching staff, could there be moves? Well, maybe. So assistant coach Pablo Prigioni has connections to Kenny Atkinson. They know each other from their Brooklyn days. So Kenny just got the Charlotte job. So I am told he's at least on Kenny's radar. Doesn't mean Pablo is out the door. I was also told there's a team overseas in Spain that has some interest in bringing Pablo over to be its head coach. So to be determined if Pablo ends up staying or leaving, but there is some external interest in assistant coach Pablo Prigioni. Another assistant coach, Kevin Hansen, I am told, has interest from the New York Knicks. But in this instance, I'm able to advance it a little bit by telling you, that it sounds like the Wolves really value Kevin. They plan on giving him a raise. That I see Kevin Hansen remaining on the Wolves staff. And is that a Gerson pursuit? He was brought in. Or was he after Gerson? Yeah, that would have been Gerson and, and Ryan Saunders. Yeah, I mean, it was after it was after Tibbs. So, yeah, he's been on the staff for three years. Came in pre-pandemic. Yeah. That's always my reference point, the pandemic, March of 2020. He was brought in before the pandemic. He was with the New Orleans Pelicans. So as I'm rattling my brain, Kevin Hansen, you know, a lot of guys had their fingerprints on Anthony Davis's development in New Orleans. Right. But certainly Kevin being a big man coach, he works a lot with Carl Anthony Towns. All right. Twin scoopage. What can you tell us? 
Well, the MLB draft is about a month away. The combine is this week in San Diego. So draft boss Sean Johnson is out there. There's some other personnel bosses out there. Not Derek, not Thad, but some other personnel bosses are out in San Diego. Tough trip, by the way, right? And you've got some scouts out there as well, plus medical staff. So the Twins have a large contingency at the draft combine in San Diego. The Twins have the number eight overall pick. That's pretty good real estate in this year's draft. Probably looking at a college bat, but maybe a high school bat. In all likelihood, bat, not pitcher. You know, people have been asking about Kumar Rocker, the kid who went top 10 last year to the New York Mets. The Mets didn't sign him out of Vanderbilt. He's now pitching in the Independent Frontier League. The Twins did scout his first start, so the Twins are, are gathering the book right now on Rocker. But until they get full access to his medical records, I think it would be hard to pull the trigger on Rocker at pick eight. So I would be surprised if the Twins went that direction at pick eight. I think it's more likely they go bat. It might depend on if one of these JUCO or high school kids falls to eight. If not, there's a kid from LSU on their radar, a kid from Virginia Tech. There's a few others. But draft work picking up even more this week. It certainly has picked up the last few weeks at you know the Super Regionals. The Twins had their scouts scattered across the country watching these these high-level Division One college games. But now ramping up even further in San Diego. There is one local player taking part. So Drew Gilbert from Stillwater High School, University of Tennessee. Tennessee somehow out of the NCAA baseball tournament. So the Vanderbilt coach, who knows a thing or two about college baseball, went on record, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but a few months ago saying this Tennessee squad was like the best he's seen in 20 years. Yet they were upset by Notre Dame Mm -hmm. in the Super Regional. So Tennessee is not in the College World Series, but Drew Gilbert one of their outfielders from Stillwater High School, likely first-round draft pick, but he was not on the list that MLB announced for for participants at the Combine. The local connection is Adam Mazur, Woodbury High School, University of Iowa. I believe he was the Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. If he wasn't Big Ten Pitcher of the Year, he came in second or third place. One of the best pitchers in the Big Ten, a Woodbury High School kid. He is the one lone Minnesota kid at the draft Combine. The Twins had a prospect. Injure his knee. In fact, I was just going back and forth with his trainer. Let's call him his trainer, Emmanuel Rodriguez. So if you look at any Twins prospect list, they signed him as an international free agent a couple years ago. Maybe it was 2019. Boy, it doesn't matter. They signed him a couple years ago. His name is Emmanuel Rodriguez. He is lighting up the Florida State League. So that would be what? Low A ball. But he's among the leaders in a bunch of different offensive categories. Well, he messed up his knee in a recent game. I'm told it's a meniscus tear. He will need surgery. So one of the Twins' top prospects will be out multiple months. We're not talking like nine months or 12 months. This is not an ACL reconstruction, but it is a multi-month injury. Emmanuel Rodriguez. Dukes, on that same vein, I'm curious what your kind of gut tells you, because this wound is still fresh, for the lack of a better word. But with Royce Lewis now having heading for his second ACL tear, um, and the Twins now without their prodigal shortstop for, obviously, at least for the next full year, what are the odds the Twins go back to Carlos Correa before this season even ends and says, what can we do to also smooth out that contract and make even either add more money or add more guarantees? Because right now, I mean... 
if Correa does indeed walk and opts out of this first year of their contract, the Twins are once again back on the shortstop market looking for a shortstop for opening day of next season. What does what your gut kind of tell you and what the Twins and Correa's camp would like to do in, in, in that realm? Well, the Correa camp is Scott Boros, and the Twins now have an excellent relationship with Scott Boros. Heck, he now represents Ryan Jeffers. He's got a bunch of different Twins clients. He's got Royce. He's got Kirilov. He's got Austin Martin, right? Yeah, maybe I need to double-check that. I believe he's got Austin Martin. He's got Correa. Heck, he's got Aaron Sanchez, last I checked, who signed with the Twins AAA team, right? He's starting now in St. Paul with a hope of joining the Twins rotation at some point this summer. So the Twins, you know, I don't want to say they're in constant dialogue with, with Scott, but there's a number of interactions that have taken place even in the last couple weeks. Heck, his client Trevor Rosenthal had a showcase last week, right? The Twins wanted to have knowledge of that, right? So there's correspondence with Boros, with Boros Corp. So can I see that happening, Declan? 100%. Yeah, I really can. I don't know when those talks will ramp up. I still feel today like I felt the day that Carlos signed in March that he is going to exercise his option to become a free agent, that it doesn't make sense to opt in to the 2023 contract at $35.1 million. Now is the time to strike on the free agent market. Outside of him missing a few weeks, when he's been on the field, he's been really good. The impact he's had in the clubhouse, my understanding is, very, very good. Like, he's a big-time positive, you know? And and I take him at face value for the most part that, you know, he's enjoying his time here. But he also wants to get paid. But, like, I think the Twins would love to have him here long-term. Ideally, the Twins would love for him just to opt in to his 2023 and 2024 contracts, right? And then have him off the books after 2024. But that is not realistic. So, Yes, those talks are going to happen at some point, Declan. Maybe they already have, but I'm positive if they haven't, they will in the somewhat near future. Maybe it's closer to the you know trade deadline after the trade deadline of August second. You know, maybe it's you know deeper into August into September. But I do think at some point, certainly before free agency, certainly before decision day, but those conversations are going to happen if they can find a way to keep Correa here long term. I'm positive the Twins have a lot of interest in that. And that's probably an 8- to 10-year ask on the contract, correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, 10 might be slightly unrealistic. Sure. Like, I had somebody on Twitter throw out the other day, who says no to 8 years, 200, and I believe the number was 40 million. So 8 years, 240. Who says no to that? Maybe it was even a bit more than that. Mm -hmm. Because... That would be, what, $30 million a year with the long-term security. Mm-hmm. Like, let's even raise that number to 265 or 270 I don't think he's touching the Corey Seager contract in Texas. But let's say it's closer to 260 270 maybe even 275 Eight years. Who says no? Heck, are the Twins interested in doing an eight-year contract, this front office? This front office is not big on giving out long-term contracts. Certainly to pitchers, surely to relievers, sure. but even starting pitchers, they're reluctant to go beyond five years. Would they go eight on a position player? I'll be fascinated to dig on that angle. And if you're Correa, if you're Scott Boros, would you say yes or no to eight? Let's just meet in the middle, Judd. 265. What would you do? 
I would say yes, probably too. I, I, would say I yes. think the climate, yeah. I, I think that's incredibly fair. Um, so just to back up for a second, let's assume that Correa is on a one-year contract. And so he was basically gifted to you because of circumstances. Royce is now out for a year. So to, to Dex's point, he's not back probably until like, let's say July of 23. You are being given an opportunity now with an all-star platinum glove shortstop that you probably aren't going to have in 2023. What is your sense, Dukes, about the, for lack of a better word, pressure that the Twins feel to capitalize? Because I would say if you're ever going to have a window of opportunity that presented itself late, and by the way, was not your crafty doing. Scott Boris basically came to you and said, here's my idea. And they're like, oh, hell yeah. Um, what do you think is the sense of urgency to maybe give up some prize prospects? Because this team, if it wants to make a playoff run or hell win a playoff game, needs to improve its starting pitching and bullpen. And I don't think that's up for any type of debate. That is not up for any sort of debate. I'll get to that point in a second, Judd. Let me remind you, a very, very high-ranking Twins official, I have it in a text message. I have text message proof, okay? He told me, because... I was I was poking around the day before the Korean news broke. I was poking around. I texted this individual just to take the temperature on what do you think happens with Carlos Correa? This individual, 24-ish hours, might have been slightly less, 22 hours, 21 hours before everything broke that Correa was landing with the Twins, texted me back that his sense was Correa was landing back with the Houston Astros. All right, so that just tells you how fast Things changed on that front. Yeah. The Twins are going to be uber aggressive, Judd. They are. You know, I've been mentioning the Montes name for a while, Frankie Montes, with the Oakland A's. When Oakland, when not if, decides to trade him, and I do think the trade likely happens before August 2nd. Like, I don't think they pull this into the offseason. I think they'll be able to maximize the value offering Montes to a team for for two pennant races, right? Not just one, mm-hmm. right, with him under team control through 2023. So the Twins are going to be heavily in that Montes mix. Now, there's going to be, what, five, six, seven, eight teams heavily in the Montes mix. So that doesn't mean the Twins are going to win those sweepstakes, but they are going to be involved on Frankie Montes. I think the names in Cincinnati make sense, too. You know, with multiple starting pitchers, they've already struck a deal with the Reds once with Sonny Gray. So, you know, that's another logical trading partner. And, yeah, whether it's, you know, two relievers, one starter, one reliever, like, I will be, put it this way, Judd, if we're talking on August 3rd and we are reviewing a trade deadline that resulted in the Twins only, you know, obtaining one reliever, Sergio Romo comes back from Seattle. Top, yeah, maybe not even a top end reliever. Yeah. We will rightfully destroy them. Yeah. Right? This is one of those instances where talk is great, but we need to see action. Mm-hmm. Right? And I can report all I want about the Twins are going to be uber aggressive, but until you deliver, it doesn't matter. Right? So I'm just saying if we're talking on August 3rd and the Twins have done very, very little, they will get destroyed, at least in this space. What is your sense on what type of prospects we will be talking about them if they do make potential deals that we're discussing right now, giving up? Like, like where, where do you sense? Because, I mean, that this team has, for the most part, has protected its top 10 prospects like they're gold. 
So are we talking about prospects 6 through 10? Are we getting into a top five? What's your sense there, Dukes? Well, what does even the top five list look like? Austin Martin is doing nothing at double A. Oh, I know. I don't want to say nothing. No, but he's not good. That's a stretch, but you're right. the power isn't there at all. Like Spencer Steer, the power is now there yep. at AAA. With Austin Martin, one home run, that's it. Yep. And it's not like he's doing a spectacular job defensively. The speed is there. The profile of a good baseball player is there. But the stats are suggesting that he's not an upper echelon prospect. Not right now, he's not. So what exactly does that top five or top ten list look like that's my rebuttal but I think the twins would be open-minded on many guys right I mean they now have a guy like Spencer Steer emerging now maybe he profiles better as a third baseman or a second baseman not necessarily a shortstop but that would open the possibility of moving a guy like Jose Miranda right because you have some depth there so I think the twins are going to be very open-minded on many many fronts especially if the return is a guy as good as Frankie Montes. Final scoops. What else do you well, got for us? Go for basketball. Workouts are underway. Summer workouts. Mm-hmm. Those began yesterday, Monday, June thirteenth. Uh, the women and the men will go for eight weeks. So I was over at the the women's availability. We weren't able to watch practice due to some goofy NCAA compliance rule. Don't get me going on the idiocy of the NCAA on many fronts, but certainly this front. But anyway, caught up with Mara Braun, one of the star freshmen. She's from Wyzetta High School, so she messed up her knee a little bit during the basketball season. She missed the track and field season, but she is now medically cleared. Her knee is good. On the men's side, Parker Fox, Isaiah Enan, both coming back from knee injuries. Both guys were able to do some stuff on the court yesterday. We didn't have access to them. We will at some point here, either later this week or next week. In fact, when I was walking into Athletes Village yesterday, I ran into Dawson Garcia, who him or Jamison Battle, one of the two is going to be the Gophers' leading scorer this next year. Dawson was feeling good, looking good, so he's in a really good mood to be back home. All signs, by the way, point to him being eligible. Remember, he's a second-time transfer, so he has to go through the waiver process, but the fact he came back home, like I'll be shocked if Dawson Garcia isn't eligible to play come the winter or late fall, early November. Like He's going to be able to play. I'll be shocked. If he isn't, but Fox and Enan, both rusty, right? Like you expect some rust. So definitely some rust, mm-hmm. but nice to see them out there. I was texting with one of the gopher coaches. They said, like, just great to have those kids out there. Yeah, rusty, but like super pumped that they were able to do some stuff yesterday. So that is very, very encouraging. David Roddy of Minneapolis Breck High School, Mountain West Player of the Year at Colorado State has a draft workout tomorrow mm-hmm. with the hometown Timberwolves, and he works out for the Dallas Mavericks on Friday. Chet Holmgren, Minneapolis native, Minnehaha Academy, visiting the Orlando Magic this week. Will the Magic go with him or Jabari Smith of Auburn? A lot of people think it'll be Jabari Smith of Auburn, then Chet would go number two to Oklahoma City. But Orlando doing its homework on Chet Holmgren. Awesome stuff, and we will talk to you on Thursday. Okay, sounds good, boys. Thanks, Duke. See you, bye.